1: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts.
0: Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact.
1: Talk about the games, fam Who cares about what people think about us?
0: Yeah, I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo over here. Sam Watson over there.
1: How you doing, man? Hey, Steve. How's it going? Right, man. Not in how's, person. Uh, how's quarantine for you? Uh, Not too bad.
0: Not too bad. We're all getting by staying positive. Let's get we got to get right into the action. Okay, here's the deal. It's Monday afternoon. We are going to react to everything we've known so far. Franchise tags, early free agent rumors, signings, releases, all of that stuff. And there'll be some breaking stuff going on right now, like Teddy Bridgewater potentially going to the Bears to start. So let's you want to circle back to that,
1: Sam? Yeah, well, as uh, also just one other production note, as is obvious, we're not in the studio. We are. I don't know where you're in your attic. Is that where you are? I'm office. in my basement office. Sorry. Yeah. I'm in my office, which is also my basement. Um, ironically. Right. That's the uh, the PFF criticism. Just geeks in their basement. So we're well, actually the there now. That's true. Yeah, That's true. It's <laughs> nobody else's. It's mine. Um, so the audio is probably likely to be somewhat questionable. The video is certainly questionable compared to what we're used to. Hopefully though, the audio is a little bit better than it will be, or a little bit better if you're listening to the podcast, just audio form than it is if you're watching the video as well. We tried to improve that and we'll see how it goes. Um, the first thing I think that's probably worth covering, are you surprised that this is happening at all free agency? I figured that they would push this thing off.
0: Uh, Yeah, but I I think what happened was Sunday, they had all the free agent tag stuff and the the tag stuff and releases. And I think the NFL looked at it and said, oh, nobody got really mad. Let's keep going. It sounded like all the rumors we were hearing is that they were going to push it back. And then teams had to do their release stuff. And it was like, all right, as is.
1: It sounded like the NFLPA, though, were the ones that vetoed it. You know, it's, uh, the, the start date for the league year is collectively bargained, so they both had to agree, essentially, whether it was getting pushed off or not. It sounded like the NFL wanted to, and the NFLPA said, no, we're, we'll go right now, thanks.
0: A lot of money on the line as soon as Wednesday hits. So it's $230 million, I think, in, in signing bonuses. So I think the NFLPA said, hey, let's carry on. Let's get that bonus money. We'll figure out, figure out the draft a- after.
1: So let's uh, let's start with the most crazy news that's happened so far, which is the madness of the Houston Texans, Arizona Cardinals trade that went down. And the fun thing about free agency is this stuff comes out like in dribs and drabs. And initially it was just the Cardinals have traded David Johnson, the running back to Houston. And that in and of itself was kind of crazy because it was like, wow, the Cardinals actually found a trade partner for that insane contract that they're stuck with with David Johnson. Then it was actually Nuke Hopkins has been traded to the Cardinals in addition to the the bells and whistles of this trade. So as of now, this trade looks like the Cardinals get DeAndre Hopkins and Houston's fourth round pick. The Texans get David Johnson, a second round pick and a twenty twenty one fourth round pick. This is the kind of trade that gets vetoed in fantasy leagues. Yeah, it's not that bad, Sam. I, I, so it Oh, no, it's not that. Listen, the Texans,
0: I, I don't, I don't like it for the Texans. Obviously they're taking one of their few strengths on the team, which is that passing attack and making a very questionable move, losing one of the best receivers in the NFL, obviously with Hopkins, the one guy that Deshaun Watson has shown trust in since he's entered the league. And, you know, it seemed like Houston's only shot was to have nuke out there. Will Fuller out there stretching the fields, the couple tight ends that they've, spread the ball to and then figuring out a way to build their secondary. They're just so depleted because of the Laramie Tunsil trade that getting any sort of, you know, draft capital back I felt like they just got pressured into that by their own tonsil trade.
1: This would have been so, you know, when we started off, we're looking for the, the reaction to this video and Mike Renner was doing and he said, look, I, I got to see what it is because if they get number eight, if they get number eight overall in this draft, I don't know that I hate it. You know, they are At that point, you could say they're getting younger. You know, there's top wide receivers potentially available. You could make that work, but they didn't. They got a running back and a second round pick. And they had to give up a fourth in addition to Hopkins to get that. This, like for the Cardinals, this is amazing. They... Their receiving core was bad. They have Kyla Murray. This offseason was all about fixing the wide receiver group. As we said on the last podcast, they've done a fantastic job of doing that. They also got rid of David Johnson's salary to make it happen. The, the difference between David Johnson's salary and New Hopkins salary, it's almost a wash. There's like a million between them. So they got rid of a terrible contract and fixed their receiving problem at the same time and gave up effectively you know somewhere less than a second round pick in value to make that happen. For them, this is a phenomenal trade. For the Texans, I don't see upside to it.
0: I don't love it for the Texans. I agree. Um it's not yes, it's so it's not great for the Texans. I do love it for the for the Cardinals as well. I think this opens up the possibility in the draft where they could go offensive tackle with their first round pick or, you know, any time a team trades picks for a Veteran player, we we talk about trading down and all that stuff. I mean, I think this does open up a great opportunity for the Cardinals to say, okay, we gave up that second round pick for New Hopkins, but if we work the draft and we start to trade down and just start to fill multiple holes, they could rebuild this thing in a hurry in Arizona. Hopkins has been fantastic. Kyler Murray needs that weapon, so yeah, I do love that. And they've showed they don't need they don't need David Johnson, so that's nice. But yeah, I'm not really sure what Houston's doing with the David Johnson component. This or the fact it's not like Nuke, I don't think he slowed down last year. Do you think he slowed down at all last year?
1: So I mean, I think what he did the year before was sort of unsustainably amazing. I think last year he was still really good, just not quite as crazy as he was the season before.
0: That's the only thing. Like, you know, teams sometimes get out a year earlier, and I I just don't know if this is the case with new Hopkins, right? When teams trade their star player and it's like, oh well, you look back at it and hey, they got out a year early. That's okay. I'm not sure we're going to be saying that with Hopkins here for a second rounder.
1: No, in particular. Take- Right. That's the thing, right? It would be one thing if you got out and you got that first round pick or you got something that was a huge haul that would say, OK, fair enough. You've traded a star wide receiver at the peak of his powers, but you did get a pretty impressive haul back for him. And, you know, you see, you know, him better than the rest of us. So maybe you are getting out a year early. This just fe- I don't I don't see the logic for Houston. Like most trades, you can at least sort of see what they thought they were doing. I have no earthly idea what they're doing here and the running back part of it. I honestly think the Texans are just one of those teams that don't appear. They either haven't learned yet or they think the data is wrong in saying that the running the running backs are, you know, interchangeable. They're they're not the driving force behind rushing success. I think the Texans still firmly believe that they are. And if you get an all pro running back, it changes everything.
0: Yeah. So here's where this would make sense for the Texans. If they took, if they looked at their situation and, and we were sitting here doing the, how do you fix the AFC uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago? Right. And we were like, how do you fix the Texans? Well, they just don't have the resources in the coming years to fix their holes. So if you said, okay, we've got new Hopkins, this one asset, and we can flip it into three players uh, at important positions at corner. Uh, maybe it's more offensive line help, even though they've attacked that pretty well. Uh, you know, repl- uh, some someone replaceable at, in the receiving core, whatever it might be, right? If that was the case, then I think I could get behind it. Could you get behind that? If you, if you knew that you could get three players back, whether it's a second rounder, them not giving up a fourth rounder, actually getting a fourth rounder, right? Like if they were getting more back, I could understand flipping Nuke, maybe, just because there's so many other holes that they made, essentially, because they put gave up so much for Tonsil.
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. It, it would kind of make sense if they'd gotten the number eight overall pick, or if they'd gotten a real haul for Hopkins. I still don't know that I would agree with it, but I could at least see what they were trying to do. The only way the David Johnson component of it makes any sense is if you still firmly believe that a running back will will further the development, will make life easier for a quarterback, and that's you know that's a, a way of thinking that a lot of people had. A reasonable time ago. You know, I think there was a period of time where people did think that, you know, you get a top quality running back, a top quality running game and quarterback's life just gets immeasurably easier. But all the data right now says that that's actually not true. That's not the way this, the interplay of these elements actually works. And, you know, running backs are benefiting from the situation, not the other way around. So, I think the only way it makes any sense is if they think David Johnson comes in and behind this improved offensive line that they've constructed, he gets back to being an all pro running back. And that's what makes Deshaun Watson's life easier. But there's almost no conceivable way that he has a a bigger impact in making Watson's life easier than than an all pro wide receiver does. Uh, Nothing
0: sums it up like the PFF Twitter account right now going with the crying Jordan Deshaun Watson. Yes. Is that it? Let's, should we leave it at that?
1: I think that nailed it. Deshaun Watson would prefer that free agency was postponed until May.
0: Uh, they did bring back Bradley Roby as well for Houston. It was a lot of money for Roby. He was one of those guys you had highlighted as like, hey, under the radar, free agent. But when you're talking, I think it was 10 million plus a year. A little on the risky side there as well, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Although, I mean, that's kind of what he, you know, last year, I think he signed for one year, 10 million. It, it's kind of the going rate for a guy, you know, is going to play. It's just a case of how long you want to tie him down for. I don't hate that move. I think that's kind of, look, there are a bunch of these reclamation projects, a corner. Roby is talented. Yeah. You know, I think he's, he's definitely a guy you could, uh, you could see how it works out. So I don't hate that deal. The, I I just don't understand what on earth they're doing with the, New Compkins, David Johnson deal. The other biggest thing that I think we should definitely cover is the moves the Vikings have made. Because. I mean, the know, real biggest thing moves, is
0: Tom Brady probably not going to New England, but we'll get there. Right.
1: A lot of the other moves that have kind of come out so far um, have been expected franchise tags, you know, um, whether it's Zach Prescott, whether it's, um, you know, Depl- uh, Shaq Barrett, a bunch of those guys. But. The Vikings kind of did something that I didn't think many people saw coming, which is they re-signed Kirk Cousins and apparently were so pleased with the way this three-year fully guaranteed contract went the first time around. They've basically decided to do it over again and, and tack two more guaranteed years or one more guaranteed year and then a third that becomes guaranteed at the end of next year onto the back end of this. What do you make of this deal?
0: I, the, the see the thing with cousins and the Vikings and even the Tannehill back to the Titans deal, I keep thinking, okay, what was the alternative? What was the other option that they had? And I think we go back to this whole mid tier quarterback concept and everything. And I think the Vikings said, okay, we've got one of these guys he's coming off of his best year. If you build a team around him, you can win. I know what happens when you have to put everything on him and it's a road game and all that stuff. And I know we got over the hump a couple of times last year, but I think that's just what they're, what they're saying is, look, we, we, we fixed the cap a little bit for this year, freed up some space. They got some other money that's going to come off the books in the coming years. And they're just saying, hey, we're, we're not going to find much better than this. Don't have a premium draft pick. We're going to build around Kirk Cousins these next couple of years. And, but again, I think you have, to, you have to look for the next quarterback along the way for that strategy to happen, because if you stumble into one, then you figure out what to do there. And you have some options instead of being stuck with Kirk the next time around.
1: And that's the problem, right, is that they never looked. So they were they were content to toddle along with Sean Mannion as a backup quarterback, who even if you thought was better than we do, you're letting hit free agency now. So you're not invested in that as any kind of backup plan. And consequently, they didn't have any options. Can I give you a number, though, that might change your opinion on it just a little bit? Yes. I know the salary cap is going up, new CBA and all that kind of stuff. But in 2022, Kirk Cousins is going to have a salary cap number of $45 million. <laughs> Which year? 2022. The, the, so the, the final year of his contract, right, as it currently stands. $45 million cap hit.
0: Yeah, that's massive.
1: So here's the thing. Right. They they've like I say, they have basically just re up for the same arrangement they had last time around. And last time around, I think it made some sense because this is a team that just lost in the NFC championship game. They thought that they were a Super Bowl caliber team and they needed a quarterback that could do what Case Keenum or Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Bradford wasn't capable of, which is. Every now and again, the Super Bowl caliber roster is going to get blown out for the first 10 minutes of a game, and we need a, an alternative answer. We need a way of coming back from a 14-point deficit in one of those games at the critical time, and they decided Kirk Cousins was worth that, right? He might not be functionally much better than those guys, but he plays in a different way or at least has the capability of playing in a different way that they didn't have, so the idea was, as long as this roster is in really good shape, we get a quarterback that's capable of making the difference. And we're a functionally different team. We have a better chance of winning Super Bowl. The problem with that is you tie up so much money in Cousins that you you have so little margin for error when it comes to building slash maintaining the 52 guys on the roster. And we've seen the defense start to fall to pieces it, it's not bad from an overall unit standpoint because Mike Zimmer is still the head coach, but their cornerback situation is a mess. Their defensive line has eroded and is eroding even further. They've just released Limbaugh Joseph. Everson Griffin voided his contract, so he's gone. So Janelle Hunter is like last man standing on that defensive line. You know, they're, they're tagging Anthony Harris with some of this freed up money. They might keep him around or they might trade him. So in theory, the two safeties are there, but the cornerbacks are a disaster right now. So my point is, everything is now falling apart around Kirk Cousins. You can no longer look at this situation and say, well, we're a championship caliber team. We just need the quarterback. Now you're not. Now you're like an average roster and you just have a re-upped for the giant amount of money to invest in Kirk Cousins. But the situation has changed. Now you need him to actually be more than the guy that can steer the ship and elevate in a game or two. You actually need him to be dragging a worse roster to a better performance. And I just don't know that he's got that in him.
0: Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I mean, again, I I come back to like, what are the alternatives for the Vikings? And, uh, you know, Cousins was pretty good last year too. And I think a lot of what happens with teams is that maybe they're not able to see that uh, really big picture view. Our big picture view, when we looked at the Ryan Tannehill deal, was like, look, he really only had three quarters of a season. That was, that was awesome. That's all we've seen in his career. Are the Vikings looking at this and saying, hey, since week two, he's the number two graded quarterback. Not that they're directly using our PFF grades, but they saw him perform at a pretty high level. Get over the hump a couple of times. Hey, you won some primetime games. Hey, you won some road games, all this stuff. Are they just buying into the fact that Kirk Cousins is this top 10, 12 caliber quarterback rather than a guy that's really 14th or 15th. And in any any given year, it looks like he's eighth. looks like he's 22nd, like so many
1: other guys. So what's really interesting is I think he was actually better than pretty good last year. If I know you can't do this, right. But if you take out the week two, the worst game of the season, the absolute disaster against the Packers, his overall grade last season was over 90. That puts him in like the top three of PFF grades. It puts him right there with the insane Tannehill half season. And you know, the Mahomes at his, like it, that's basically all pro level. Um, but He was genuinely pretty spectacular last season. The question is, is that like it's always like, you know, if something new happened and the guy plays at a certain level, well, those two things are are one for one. Right. We made Shaq Barrett a starter. He got 20 sacks. Ergo starter Shaq Barrett is a 20 sack a season kind of guy. Kirk Cousins has a Kubiak offense now, suddenly plays at 90 for almost all the season. Ergo Kirk Cousins is an all pro. Uh, no. I mean, he's going to regress, right? He's probably going to be, let's say he regresses to the point where the rest, where his grade is if you include that Green Bay game and it goes from 90 to like 85, 85 is still not good enough to drag a roster that isn't capable of doing it beyond where it's going to go. I mean, you there was no clearer example of that than when they played the 49ers, right? The 49ers did assemble a genuine Super Bowl caliber roster. They had a quarterback that wasn't, you know, dramatically better, if any better than Kirk Cousins. And the Vikings are just outclassed from start to finish. So if you run up against one of those teams, or if it's not a team like the 49ers, whose roster is markedly better, it's a team like the Chiefs, whose quarterback is is markedly better. If you run up against one of those two styles of team, Cousins is not the guy that's capable of
0: elevating to beat them. Here's the interesting thing around the NFL, to your point here. The Kubiak system, the Shanahan system, these really good, consistent systems through the years, the ones that are play action driven, they have they have a history of turning mid-tier quarterbacks into very productive players. Matt Schaub, if you look at the all-time statistical rankings, is really high because he played in the Kubiak-Shanahan scheme that helped uh, you know, elevate their performance. We saw what Jared Goff did in, in Los Angeles. We saw what Jimmy Garoppolo did with the 49ers. If you have this history of elevating quarterbacks, we've seen what Kubiak did with Brock Osweiler, Sam. He made Brock Osweiler like a coveted player out on the open market by one team at least.
1: Yes, the same team that just made the trade. We can't understand.
0: I know, but my point is, if you have that history, why would you ever lock up the quarterback unless it was that truly elite top five, top eight quarterback, which again, I don't think Cousins is year in, year out. So overall, the Vikings are going to take a step back before they take a step forward. Just to wrap them up.
1: Well, so the thing is, they that wasn't the only move they made, right? They, as I said, we they tagged Anthony Harris. In theory, that's a really good move. They re-signed, they extended Dalvin Cook. They extended CJ Ham, fullback. That's got us first move Huge. we got to make. Um, <laughs> and they, uh, we just got a little message pop up in our Skype saying too much Vikings. Even when I we're, typed uh, it, same. Oh, you type. I thought that was I thought that was production <laughs> notes. I thought we were still getting right, heckle from the uh, up. from the gallery. OK, so they they extended C.J. Hamm, they extended uh, Dalvin, or Dalvin Cook and they tagged Anthony Harris. But it's still a high wire act that they need to nail this offseason, right? They need to find cornerbacks from somewhere. They need to find defensive linemen from somewhere. They need to patch up the areas that have gotten weak. And only if they do that, can Kirk Cousins have a chance to do better than that.
0: All right, let's get through. As much news as possible. Yes. we got to hit what do you
1: think? Tannehill. It's got to be the thing we got to hit next. The Titans the scenario. All right. So the Titans, uh,
0: I was, um, I misunderstood at first what the deal was, but essentially, um, the first year doesn't look too bad for Tannehill. They can get out after the first year, but if they do that, the second year is also guaranteed. So essentially they're on the hook for about 36, 37 million, right? Over the first two years. So if they did want to get out after one year, it would cost them essentially two years worth of QB salary. And then once they decide next year, we're going with Tannehill, he's locked in for, so once they say, sure. hey, 2021 Tannehill our guy. He's also locked in for 2022 at a higher price. Um, and he becomes one of the highest paid guys. Now, eventually I think a lot of guys are going to get paid more than him and the contract's not going to look crazy, but either right. way, bottom line is they're betting on Tannehill. They're yes. not betting on him with an easy out. They're betting on him for at least three years to be their guy in Tennessee. And then of course they franchise tag, uh, Derek Henry on
1: top of that. So that's the thing, right? Is it's hard to look at the Tannehill deal in isolation. I think it almost has to be paired with the Derek Henry thing, which in my eyes makes it worse, right? It's yeah, sure, we could look at Tannehill in a slightly more favorable line and say, well, maybe in this system for us, he's a better player than his baseline. On the other hand, it's hard not to think that, hey, we just wanted to be able to keep around Derrick Henry. So let's try and work out desperately something for Tannehill so that we have the franchise tag to keep Henry around. If that's your motivation for doing anything, it's just bad process. Um, I agree. When I when I first saw the deal, I had the same thought that you did, which is it looked like it was structured in such a way that they're essentially having two years of guaranteed money at slightly less than the sort of double franchise rate. And then a third year that they can sort of opt into at the end of those two years. But they have to opt into the third year at the end of the first season which is bizarre. So it's either it's either a one year deal where you're paying in massively more than you would for the franchise tag or a three year deal in which you're paying in basically market value for a giant amount of money that you have to decide after year one. So ultimately, I just don't understand Other than the Derrick Henry thing, why you wouldn't just franchise tag him? Because he's going to regress next year. The only question is how badly. So play him and figure out how badly and then deal with how, like, deal with the situation from there.
0: I think the alternative is when you look at quarterback deals, even if if Tannehill's 85% of what he was this year, even if he's 75%, look at what Cousins just made, right? I mean, we're talking about guys make a ton of money. At quarterback. So it's almost like just always do the deal earlier rather than later. And if you kick the can down the road like Washington did, Cousins price tag, even though Cousins wasn't great in Washington, it's not like his price tag went down after back to back franchise tags.
1: I agree. So let, let me give you a scenario then. Let's say that his regression goes back exactly as far as as his early. His early year career in Miami, right—that sort of eighty overall PFF grade level, which is coincidentally about where Kirk Cousins always was. Yeah, Um, let's say that's the level he ends up with. What do you want with that? Like, are you happy with the three-year deal if that's the Ryan Tannehill you now have?
0: I don't know. I mean, we always talk about this stuff in a vacuum, right? Like, we're we're making moves for all thirty-two teams. I think it's challenging when it's like when you're sitting there and here are options, right? We've got Tannehill, Tom Brady's on the market, but. We have no idea how that's going to play out, right? Other guys, Phillip Rivers, they're all on the market, but we have Tannehill here where we have to make a decision on him first. I think internally with teams, there's a comfort level of saying, here's the quarterback. I know what I have here. Let me build around him, right? I know that he needs another weapon, or I know that we need defensive help to compliment, whatever it might be, right? So I think there's that comfort level with, okay, we got our guy locked up for three years. Now, every move that we make, is supposed to go toward building around him, which again, we always come back and say, while you're doing that, you got to be eye and eyeballing quarterbacks too, because if you stumble into a Justin Herbert late first round, if he was available there and he ends up being good on a rookie contract, okay, then there's value there. It's a tricky situation when you have the quote unquote mid-tier quarterback.
1: It is, but you know, the, the other thing was the point you were making, I think all the last two podcasts, which is, we're no longer in a world where finding a below average quarterback is hard, right? Like there used to be yeah. a massive drop off between the sort of solid starter and the the next tier of like disastrous backup that used I to have be made that point. That's a good point. A massive yawning chasm. And now it isn't. So now you're in this situation where, and it's not just Tannehill, right? It's a Tannehill. It's a, I mean, maybe even a Dak Prescott, you know, there's this group of quarterbacks where, Those guys all want monster money at Kirk Cousins. But are they worth it? At some point, you have to say, well, look, the difference between this guy and the random Jacoby Brissett that I can get off the street is smaller than the difference between the amount of money I can pay that guy and the amount of money I'm stuck having to negotiate for here. It's actually worth more to me to save all this cap space and build around the guy that's closer. So I think with Tannehill... You're left with that debate, right? At some point, what he wants is just not worth the level that he's going to regress back to. And given, you know, that's going to come, I, I don't see why you do anything other than franchise tag him, except for the fact that you wanted that freed up for Derrick Henry.
0: Yeah. So here's the thing, too. Unless you know you're going to make make good with the Derrick Henry one year money is the franchise tag for him that crippling. We hate running backs. We, we don't think they're valuable, all that stuff. We said, hey, roll the dice one more year with Tannehill in the same situation. As much as we say that the run game doesn't set up play action, the rest of the NFL seems to think that Derrick Henry was the reason why this entire run was made by the Titans. They're going to game plan for Derrick Henry. All these things—it's almost like playing on their their stupidity, kind of right? I'm gonna would, if you just say, hey, we'll bring back Derrick Henry and make teams continue to stack the box, and we'll run play action and extract to that other year out of Tannehill.
1: You know, yeah, you know what I think it is more? It's like the thing we talk about every offseason, which is everyone assumes that everything will stay the same from year to year, except, you know, the the one thing you change. Right. So it's okay. We're going to have exactly the same team and then our crippling flaw from last year. We're going to fix that. And therefore, we're a Super Bowl team. I think the Titans are looking at this and they're saying, well. Ryan Tannehill played really well. Obviously, he was set up by Derrick Henry, but he'll come back. We'll keep Henry around. He'll do the same thing. Henry will have the exact same scenario, right? He'll be able to dominate behind that line. He'll have Tannehill there, so he'll have success as well. And it's like everything we went on this run we, into the playoffs from being two and four. We knocked off two of the better teams in the postseason, and we came up just a hair short against a great team. They're like, well, we're just going to extend that for a full 16 games. We'll have the number one seed. We'll we'll be at home this time and everything will be great. Now we'll be a Super Bowl team. It's like, well, okay, but one, you're letting your right tackle walk out the door in order to make these things happen. And you could make an argument that he will have a bigger impact on the run game than Derrick Henry will. Two, he's probably not going to have the same level of success, even if everything repeated itself, just because what he was doing was pretty unsustainably good. Three we've talked about how Tannehill is going to go backwards. That's almost certain to happen. The only question is how far do you mean? And for things just don't stay the same year to year, everything changes. So you've basically worked on the basis that you're going to start 2020 with exactly the same scenario as you ended 2019. And that's almost certainly a fundamentally bad way of thinking about things.
0: Yeah, I get you, man. Just to, just to wrap things up on the Titans, their story for us, I think the last few years is here's this, Pretty average to slightly above average team, right? Or or like really good, solid roster across yeah. the board, right? And that's that's why Mariota led Titans teams were nine and seven for four straight years or whatever, right? I mean they're they a nine and seven team, and it took a career year from Tannehill to make them more than that. But now Cameron Wake's gone, Jack Conklin's gone, Logan Ryan's a free agent, not huge names. But all the teams where you looked, a bunch of names where you looked up and down their depth chart, you said, okay, solid at corner, solid offensive, solid everywhere. That's an issue, too, right? So the same thing with the Cousins thing, right? The roster might get a little bit worse before it gets better, and you're expecting a little bit more from Tannehill.
1: So, yeah. So I don't love what Tennessee have done, but equally, they have brought back two important components from last season's run. So, I'm not saying it's crippling or anything. I just don't love the way they've gone about doing that.
0: Let's go through some of the other moves. We'll go a little bit more rapid fire on a couple here. Um, I'm going in reverse order from the PFF blog. Uh, Eric Flowers gets a three-year, $30 million deal. 30 seconds on why we're calling this a thumbs down here for the Dolphins.
1: Well, the Dolphins are clearly tanking for Trevor Lawrence. That's the only explanation I can think of.
0: It's not like so Eric Flowers gets a bad rap on like social media and in our circles because he gives up a million sacks and all that stuff. He did get better (laughs) last year at guard. And to Mike Renner's point, he improved to like a 63 grade at guard. The one thing I will say is offensive linemen do get better years, four, five and six. But when they're coming from that low baseline, I don't want to pay $10 million a year to find out. If you are going to get better and turn into a reasonable player. So not a great move, we don't think, for uh the Dolphins.
1: The uh the Austin Hooper deal is now done. The Browns, of course, have made Austin Hooper the highest paid tight end in NFL history. Four years, 44 million, with 23 of it guaranteed. We covered that on on last week or last week's podcast. That look, Austin Hooper is a pass game calibration device. He will get you exactly where your pass game is capable of scheming up between zones, but nothing else you do not make that the highest paid tight end in NFL history. That's just not a good way to spend money.
0: And I know Kevin Stefanski comes over. He used a ton of 12 personnel. That's two tight ends, two receivers. And now if you look at that grouping, OBJ and Landry, the two tight ends, David and Joku and Austin Hooper, even if they get that production out of Hooper, again, the point is, is he, is he worth all that money? When you're paying a tight end, that type of money, you're expecting a Travis Kelsey, a Rob Gronkowski, a George Kittle, a guy that the defense is saying, I must stop that guy. Nobody, he is like the fourth guy, the offense, defensive coordinators are trying to stop. And that's why he was productive with the Falcons on those routes.
1: Yeah, I mean, the point is, if you can achieve that production with Austin Hooper, you can achieve that production with a dozen guys you can get for half that price. So it's, no matter what happens, it's just a fundamentally bad way of spending the money.
0: The problem there, again, is supply and demand. The, t- the tight end class, uh, Eric Ebron's the guy that we put just above Austin Hooper because his receiving ability might be a little bit more sustainable. Hooper's a better blocker. There's literally nobody. Hunter Henry got franchised. He's off the market. And then the, the tight end class in the draft is horrible. So, um, sure. by all accounts, right? But other than, you know, taking a flyer on a guy in the second, third, fourth round. So it's a supply and demand issue, right? Huge need. They felt like, hey, we need two tight ends. So I could see him being productive, but just not living up to that money.
1: Yeah, I still don't like it.
0: All right, what else we got? New England Patriots, all the moving parts there. So they surprised everybody franchising uh, Joe Tooney, the left guard. They already have a ton of money wrapped up in Shaq Mason, the right guard. Now there's reports coming out that they're not actually looking to tag and trade Tooney. Like they're looking at a long-term deal there. And then there's all this fallout. They brought back Devin McCourty as well. They're running low on cap space. And if they don't re-sign Brady by Wednesday at four... 13.5 Thirteen and a half million directly goes onto that cap. Dead money for Tom Brady, and there's this report of Tom Brady's market drying up. Nobody really wants him. Are they going to end up back in New England?
1: I don't know. I, I still think it's unlikely. I still think it's a natural separation point for for Brady and the Patriots. Um, it is interesting that Brady's market appears to be drying up. If there was ever that robust a market in the first place, and I honestly, I wonder how. I guess, given his age, it's a short term deal, whatever. But I wonder how much last season is misleading teams, you know, sending them in the wrong direction. So I'll look because his numbers, I think last year were way worse than his actual play. You know, his numbers look like he fell off a cliff, but grading wise, I mean, he got worse, but he didn't get that much worse. And as I say, when you start to look at the tape, you put put the blame almost directly at the feet of all the receivers. Um, So I think Tom Brady can still play, but I wonder the fact that it's basically a one year deal or two year deal at most for anybody, how much that's scaring them off. You know, I still think ultimately there's a a few teams that should be in the market for one or two years of Tom Brady, almost regardless of the price, but we'll see how that manifests itself.
0: I think it's, it's interesting that for a second there, the, uh, the bucks were the favorite in Vegas to get to it. Yeah. favorite. And that was the one combination we said, man, that would be fascinating, but doesn't seem like it'd be a great one on paper. Some really good receivers, but Bruce Arians downfield scheme. My wife is texting me though, that the Brady stuff's off the books in Vegas now. So nobody knows anything still. This is what we're hearing. Okay. Nobody knows anything. Um, it's it turns out the Austin Hooper deal may not have been as bad as we thought, it's only 23 million guaranteed over four years, but still 44 million total. You're probably going to end up paying, you know, big money for over three years for him, at least. Yeah.
1: Isn't that what uh, I said?
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm more going. For, yeah, I'm more going based off of my initial. I, I, the whole day has been a blur. My initial reaction was he's the highest paid tight end in the NFL. Let's let's tear him down from, you know, being the highest paid guy and breaking the bank here. It wasn't egregious.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, that makes him the highest paid tight end in NFL history, which, you know, is pretty, I mean, regardless of, yeah, it's not crippling or anything. I, like I say, it's not the worst deal in the world in terms of he will probably be a pretty good player and a productive one in that offense. It's just, it's, I just don't like the way it, I don't like it as an allocation yeah. of resources.
0: All right. So New England brings back their, their two consistent performers. Joe Tooney has gotten better every single year. Top five guard over the last couple of years. So that's, you know, a solid move, but franchise tag, a lot of money for
1: him. Oh, well, here you go. Uh, Breaking news. The uh the Ravens have given Atlanta their tight end back. They've sent Hayden Hurst and a fourth round pick to the Falcons in exchange for Atlanta's second round pick and a fifth round pick.
0: Wow. The Ravens uh-huh. flipped Hayden Hurst for a second. I mean, I know they gave up a third, but man. Hayden Hurst, the guy that the Ravens coveted over Lamar Ahead Jackson, their Yeah, right. The Ravens make all the right moves, but sometimes there's that. Yeah, that is breaking news. Uh, Hayden Hurst. Now he's a guy, even though he hasn't done a touch a, a ton in the NFL, he actually does a lot after the catch. And uh, yeah. if if Atlanta did all that to scheme up Ho- Hooper and, and create some production there, Hurst, I think they could be productive there. Um, Atlanta had the extra second from the Mohammed's new trade as well.
1: There is a not insignificant chance that Hayden Hurst is an upgrade for the Falcons over Austin Hooper, given the way they deploy their tight end and given the skill set that he has. I also, you know, as much as I don't want to say you were taking a shot at the Ravens there, but you know, you were making the point that as much as they're universally lauded for doing all the smart things, they screw up every now and again as well, because yep. everybody does, right? But it's a good example of how the smartest teams are the most willing to cut bait and recognize when they screwed up, right? They're not doubling down and saying, look, all right, we already invested this in and we have to make sure we feed him the ball relentlessly. They're saying, no, screw it. We made a mess. We got a better tight end later down. Let's flip this guy for whatever we can get for him and get better that way. Those are the smartest teams. The ones that figure out how to maximize the impact or minimize the impact of the mistakes they make.
0: Yeah, I agree that. So that's the other, the risky part of taking any tight end in the first round, by the way. We've got David Njoku with the Browns. We're talking about, you know, is he on the trading block? And they just, you know, spent all on, all the money on Austin Hooper, who's going to be the number one over Njoku. And then Hayden Hurst, first round tight end, where in the same draft, Mark Andrews was drafted later, and he's better than Hurst. I mean, the Ravens have found, you know, decent tight ends and used them well uh, in that system. How about the Green Bay Packers? Are we going to talk Dak? Dak gets
1: the franchise tag. That's a franchise tag, which enables them to focus all of their attention on desperately trying to keep Amari Cooper around, which I think they need to because Dak needs Cooper. Um, the Dak deal, I think, you know, everyone knew that was happening in terms of if they couldn't get a deal done, they franchise tag and There was no way they were letting them walk. But for Dallas, you just get this feeling that none of it should have ever gotten this far.
0: Yeah. There's everyone's hinting at a massive trade coming out. I tweeted eyeball emojis, Sam, and I don't know. It just, it gets, it gets really good traction. If you need some cheap retweets, it's like the wrestling equivalent of the cheap pop. When you just mentioned the city you're in, if you just go eyeball emojis, you get some good, uh, good interaction on Twitter.
1: I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the Twitter tally lately, but I'm not sure I need that much help from you.
0: Well, if I keep tweeting gold like this, I'll catch up.
1: A true. This is this is where you make your your money back.
0: We have rap sheet reporting that the uh, former Bills edge defender, Shaq Lawson, is going to sign with the Miami Dolphins um, there. It seems like their moves are creeping in toward that Detroit Lions right when Patricia Patricia got there. Thomas Dimitrov right when he got to Atlanta run tougher.
1: first, getting tougher,
0: getting tougher. Jack Lawson, a better run defender than he is. Pass rusher, solid overall player. We'll see what the terms are. Um, but yeah, just a solid player. Nothing spectacular there for Miami. So they added him and Eric Flowers at guard. Um, was it two moves by the Packers? Christian Kirk, uh, Kirksey, two years, 16 million uh, linebacker. And then right tackle Rick Wagner to replace the uh, departed. Departed. Wow, you want full boston sometimes it accidentally sticks out there uh sneaks out there gosh it's so tough not being in person with you um rick wagner the depotted brian bulaga yeah. uh, at right tackle yeah i, I uh, mean wet. i think wagner's the perfect average tackle for them
1: yeah i think that's a fine move look they, their problem or their only uh role with the offensive line with, with uh, Aaron Rodgers still there is to basically make sure the thing doesn't fall to pieces, right? Make sure you don't creep beyond average and into bad at any one spot. And I think Wagner does that for them. He gives them a reasonable right tackle. You know, it's not going to be an issue. And then I think Kirksey is a solid enough move. If just because it probably will prevent them from giving big money to Blake Martinez, you know, like he might not be an upgrade. He might not be a downgrade, but he's in the same ballpark and it's a cheap enough deal that you don't have to get kind of free agent fever and just start throwing money at a guy like Martinez because he's made a ton of tackles and he's been productive in your defense. And now he's on the open market. You know, I think it's a reasonable move.
0: The problem is uh, Kirksey hasn't really been good since 2015
1: or 16. Yeah. Which is again, the same idea as Blake Martinez,
0: (laughs) (laughs) a lateral move. For the Green Bay Packers. What else do we have here? Kansas City Chiefs give the franchise tag to Chris Jones. I was just looking at the cap, uh, the the contracts that uh, Kansas City has. I know they just won the Super Bowl and they're going to be carried by Mahomes until he, you know, they'll always be carried by Mahomes, but they've got that easy contract for him right now. But they have a ton of money wrapped up in Frank Clark. Like this really could be the end for Chris Jones in Kansas City. Maybe just one more year here.
1: So, well, that was the other thing is Do you think that they're planning on, well, three options, right? Are they planning on franchising him and trying to work out a long deal, franchising him and getting one more year out of him and then bouncing or franchise and trade and saying, look, we already have too much money, tie it up elsewhere. We're not going to let you leave for nothing, but we're going to try and get what we can for you right now. I, it would, God, I would, I. Honestly, from a sort of analytics team building point of view, trading him be the right move, though. Honestly, if your choice is like which guy deserves the money, Chris Jones or Frank Clark, they've already made the mess of giving the money to Frank Clark. Like that's the wrong place to put that money. But in this situation, I don't know. What do you think they're going to do with it?
0: I think they should explore those trade options. I think at the very least, it does kind of make sense before they pay Mahomes. Give it one more shot with uh, with Chris Jones with the big money this year and then let him walk uh, next year. Frank Clark's sitting there. The cap numbers, you know, right now, 22 million for Frank Clark, 21 million for Sammy Watkins, who wants out would be 7 million in dead money, 14 total. If he gets released, Tyreek Hill's making 17. Tyron Matthew is making 60. Oh, they have a lot of guys up over 15, none of which are Patrick Mahomes. They got to pay him in the coming years. So I think there's, Something to be said for, hey, let's give it one more shot with this current roster, knowing that probably they're going to try to get rid of Sammy and save some money somehow there. One more shot with Chris Jones this year. But listen to all those offers in case somebody goes crazy for
1: him. Yeah.
0: Check.
1: Go ahead. What's the last thing you want to hit before we get out of here? We got a hard out with all the chaos that's happening today.
0: Uh, There's a whole bunch of franchise tags between Shaq Barrett, Leonard Williams and... But Dupree. I think Dupree, we said thumbs down.
1: So what's the worst franchise die application you've seen? Probably Leonard
0: Williams. He's more valuable, I think, than your traditional run first type of player. Like he's a really good player. But given what else they have and all the holes that they have on that Giants defense, the least of their concerns is run stopping interior defensive linemen with Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence already there.
1: So this feels like the exact opposite of what we just lauded the Ravens for, right? It's they made a mistake. They realize really quickly. They try and minimize the impact and maximize what they can flip the mistake for. The Giants make a mistake. They trade for Leonard Williams. They discover all season long that he's not making a massive difference to that defense. They already have what he brings, basically, already in situ. And instead of cutting bait, instead of minimizing the effect that that has, and saying, "All right, we probably shouldn't have done that." Let's just we already set fire to the the draft pick. They double down and they franchise right. tag him to keep him around. It's like it, you're just you're making it worse. You've already made the mistake. There's no fixing it like that's done. Just all you can do from that point is minimize the negative impact that that mistake can have. And instead, you're doing the opposite. You're maximizing the negative that that mistake has on your team.
0: All right. We've got uh, what about four minutes here, Sam? Yeah, about that. Just all right, let me let me give two minutes on a couple things I like. You get a minute on something you like, and you get your your finish here. Um okay. I got more minutes than you. Two things I loved Indianapolis Colts residing Anthony Costanzo, two years, $33 million. They keep intact the number three PFF offensive line from last year. I think he's gonna retire as a Colt, gives them some time to figure out his replacement. The whole offensive line's coming back, and then going back to the Ravens. I liked the move kind of on both sides, right? The Ravens trade a fifth round pick to the Jaguars for Calais Campbell. Uh, still one of these, one of the best run defenders and he's now their best pass rusher, even with Matthew Judon back. I think it shows the value of having that extra draft capital. It's what smart teams do when you have fourth, fifth and sixth round picks, and you can just float those around the league for established players like Calais Campbell. That is a steal. But I also think that the Jaguars got three excellent years out of Calais Campbell did not get crippled by the contract and then got out of it after three years from a macro point of view. I think that was a pretty good move by the Jags, the Campbell signing for 2017.
1: Oh, I'm, and I think that, you know, Mike Renner posted the list of fifth round picks over the past few seasons. I a hundred percent agree that the Ravens showing again, what you should be doing. You should be looking to shop the last three rounds of your draft for established quality veteran players that, you know, will impact your team immediately in year one. You know, we talk about how you build from the you build in the draft. You try and assemble the best uh, or the most number of picks you can. I think that probably certainly the first, you know, first three rounds, first four rounds. You want to have as many picks as possible in those first four rounds. After that, I would be all for never picking beyond the fifth round or beyond the fourth round and just using those picks on guys that, you know, will actually make your not only make your roster, but make your team better the following year. So Calais Campbell is, what, 33 years old at this point? Yep. But he's had four consecutive PFF seasons with a grade above 90. All of them came after he turned 30. Um, he's He won the best run defender in the NFL award last season. He was still a pretty good pass rusher despite playing on the edge. The Ravens will presumably move him back inside where he's been really effective in the past as well. So you're getting a top tier interior presence on a team that doesn't have that many of them, despite that defense being in really good shape. And all it cost you was a fifth round pick and a modest extension like that is an absolute steal that every team should be trying to achieve somewhere. Like anybody that's selling assets, you should be throwing fifth round picks in their direction to try and get guys on. So I love that move as well.
0: Having that cap space is huge. That's why you don't go all in and max out the cap all the time. So that you have the flexibility to do the, you know, to, to actually execute those moves and it continues positionless football for the Ravens. He's an interior player and he's an edge. He could do it all, man. We could have gone for 12 hours, but we'll be back on Thursday to recap it all even more. Right.
1: Yeah. So podcast will continue as is the, uh, despite the social isolation and, and, and progress of PFF. We are all back in basements or attics or various parts office. of our own abodes. In my offices. Office. Yes. Air quotes office. All right. This so bear so with us. If, if you're watching the video, you can tell there's a whole bunch of crap on the walls in this place because this is the only room in this house that I'm allowed to have things on the wall. My wife is more of a minimalist type person. So this this my office in here in the basement, is just covered in crap on the wall.
0: Mine, if you could see, is just going to be toys and kids running around in the back. So yours is the opposite. Yours is all bare. (sighs) Yeah, well, the kids pull it off the wall. So my office (laughs) turned into their playroom once we moved into the office and I wasn't working here as much. So I moved back in. All right, man. Let's wrap it up. Yes. That it. All right. So we'll be back on Thursday. Stick with PFF all week. We got the PFF free agency tracker. Don't forget the promo code. It's NFL two zero two zero nfl 2020 25 percent off every subscription at pff.com this week it's nfl 2020 two zero two zero go and check it out please because the nfl is the only show in town right now hopefully we can keep you guys entertained during this uh this crazy time all right guys thanks for tuning in we'll be back on thursday